And what's going on, everyone? Welcome to episode 73 of Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Hayden. You can follow us on Twitter at NotBoston. You can also follow the Facebook page, Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. And uh, we have a lot to get to today. I'm also happy to announce that I have an interview with uh, Eric Bellier that will be part of this episode as well, so looking forward to getting you guys to listen to that. Um, so that will be coming kind of at some point, like in the middle of the episode, but um, had a great conversation, a lot about baseball, Hall of Fame, free agency, and things like that, so definitely uh, stay tuned for that. Um, so we'll just get right into it. Uh, we'll get right into the NFL, uh, talking about the uh, championship games. Probably won't do a Super Bowl preview just yet. You know, we might talk about some things about the game, um, but I think a full-on preview won't be until um, next week. Um, there's also some other NFL stuff that I want to get to as well. Um, practices for the Senior Bowl and um, things going on around the league in terms of, uh, you know, quarterbacks and available quarterbacks and things like that. I'll also get to the NHL, talk about the Bruins, uh, talk about around the NHL and the NBA too. We'll get to the Celtics. A uh, really important game for the Celtics tomorrow night. Uh, it's going to be very interesting to see what uh, happens tomorrow as they uh, welcome the Lakers to TD Garden. Then they'll go on a West Coast road trip. So a big uh, couple weeks or so for the Celtics. Um, and then at the end, we'll also talk about the NWHL. The bubble uh, opened up last weekend. Uh, we'll talk about some games, talk about some teams. Um, unfortunately, the Metropolitan Riveters have um, opted out of the tournament after some positive tests, so that's really unfortunate. But uh, I think as far as we know, the bubble will keep going strong, but we'll update you guys on that as well. So uh, we'll get right into the NFL. Championship games obviously has been dissected and talked about for most of the week, so um, I think that, um, I'll be honest, I think that the scores of the games... And somehow, and some of how the games went didn't surprise me very much. You know, the Chiefs beat the Bills. The Bills couldn't score enough points. You know, too many times they're opting for field goals, and it's like, you're not going to beat Kansas City that way. And it just was like, I know that I said before these games that, okay, it's really a championship weekend where any of these teams can win, but it's like, I really felt like Buffalo was the team that needed a lot to go right for them to win. And some things did go right for them, but not enough. And you're not going to beat the Kansas City Chiefs scoring 24 points. You're just not going to. Um, So I I wasn't totally surprised by the outcome of that game. You know, I figured that the Chiefs were going to have a really good offensive game, um, especially with Mahomes back and especially after that. Cleveland game that I think that yes they won that game but I think some people in that locker room and probably in the organization were like okay we made that game way too close Um, and the offense was firing on all cylinders I mean this was like the offense that we saw all year you know and in the playoffs last year that it's like okay you know they're totally fine you know they can have a game where maybe they don't play their best um, but they're going to need this type of performance if they're going to beat uh, Tom Brady and the Buccaneers in the Super Bowl. Um, they cannot play like they did against Cleveland because they're not going to win. Um, and then in the other game, you know, the Bucks and the Packers, uh, it was a weird game because it felt like on both sides of the ball, 
or on on for both teams kind of not gave the game away but you think about Brady and the Bucks you know the couple interceptions that Tom threw um and a few of them you know aren't totally his fault you know he had an interception that went off the hands of Mike Evans you know yes okay maybe he shouldn't have caught it it was a little high but ball hit off his hands you know you had another interception where you had a safety come over and make a great play you know and then that third interception where there's someone coming in unblocked and you have to get rid of the ball you know yes it's a bad interception because Brady should have gotten the ball out of bounds but you know at the same time it was a really well-timed blitz and a well-timed defensive play by Green Bay so in that way Tampa Bay kind of let Green Bay back into the game but the Packers couldn't take advantage of those turnovers, you know, and I think that was the biggest story. And, you know, it wasn't like Green Bay couldn't make plays. You know, Tampa Bay's defense, Barrett and Jason Pierre-Paul, were unbelievable in that game. You know, if they play like that against Kansas City, I don't think there's any way that they lose. Um, But then again, you know, Mahomes and Rodgers, I think, are similar in some ways, but Patrick Mahomes to me, is a little bit better of an improvisational quarterback than Rodgers. I know Rodgers can do it with the best of them, but I think Mahomes just has that different, crazy ability to make amazing plays out of nothing, a lot like Lamar Jackson. So, you know, I think that that is going to be the matchup of the game, is the Tampa Bay front seven against the Chiefs offensive line and Patrick Mahomes. You know, how who gets the upper hand? You know, how do how does Tampa Bay and Todd Bowles, how do they decide to attack him? You know, that's going to be such a fascinating matchup. But getting back to the NFC Championship, you know, it felt like Green Bay with the trips into the red zone cost them the chance to win. And, you know, it was one of those things that in the regular season, you know, they were historic, historic in the red zone, scoring at like 80%, which is unbelievable. You know, that's touchdowns almost every time you're in the red zone. That's just unheard of. So that really, to me, was the difference in the game. Tampa Bay, you know, made plays in the red zone. The Green Packers just couldn't come up with with the big plays in the, in the red zone. And I think that's really what cost them. And yes, there definitely were some thoughts about Matt LaFleur kicking that field goal, you know, late in the game and why aren't you going for it? Um, but, you know, I think that there's things that made sense there are pros and cons for it because it's like, yes, of course, it's fourth and goal. You have to go for it. But at the same time, they had ran like six plays in that game from inside the five-yard line and hadn't gotten anything. And so it was like, okay, you need to come away with points. I mean, it's just – I think that either way in that situation, you have to have your defense come up with a stop. Yes, I know that the the circumstances would be different, you know, in terms of, okay, maybe – you are, the defense is is playing to, you know, hold it and get it to overtime, or the defense is trying to get the ball back. And, you know, it just, it didn't work out. Green Bay, or Tampa Bay was able to run out the clock. And, you know, I think that it just was a game where, you know, as I said, both teams made mistakes, but it was Tampa Bay that was kind of able to withstand the mistakes that they made, meaning that, you know, Brady threw those interceptions, but then the defense, you know, buckled down, you know, that they made plays when it mattered, that they were able to stop Green Bay's offense from being able to get back in the game. So, you know, it's going to be very interesting to see 
the early part of this Super Bowl and which team, you know, is off to the lead first. You know, which team is able to kind of get that first punch because it's so interesting because it seems like when we have seen the Kansas City Chiefs in the playoffs, a lot of times they don't start on time. You know, that they've had these deficits. I mean, they had the, these deficits last year in the playoffs. They were down 9 nothing in the first quarter against the Bills. You know, so it's like if Tampa Bay jumps out in front, you know, in the Super Bowl, how do they handle it? You know, do they keep doing what they're doing or do they relax? And it's like you kind of have to keep doing what you're doing. You have to be at your absolute best offensively. And I will tell you that Tampa Bay was able to withstand the mistakes from Brady but it's like, I don't think you're going to be able to do that against Kansas City. Like, Tom Brady cannot throw three interceptions. I think that Kansas City's a team that they will take advantage of turnovers. And unfortunately, Green Bay just couldn't, you know, for for whatever reason. But I thought Tampa Bay's defense really stepped up. And that was kind of, to me, the biggest story of the games on Sunday was Tampa Bay's defense, that Brady made some mistakes, but they were able to withstand those mistakes. So, Tampa Bay, Kansas City, Super Bowl uh, next Sunday in Tampa Bay. So, you know, it'll be very interesting to see Tampa Bay, obviously the first home team or the first team in the Super Bowl era uh, to ever host, to quote-unquote host the Super Bowl. So uh, that will be very interesting. There'll be some fans, um, you know, frontline workers and uh, I think vaccinated healthcare workers. Um, as well. So I think that that's just awesome. That's great for great to see that. Um, but I will just say you are going to see an awesome game. Um, and we'll get more into a preview um, next week, I think. But it's going to be really, really fun uh, to watch this Super Bowl. Um, I think Kansas City is the early favorite, which I think makes sense um, just with considering how much they're able to score. But um, I think Tampa Bay's defense uh, really could be what makes the difference um, in this game if Tampa Bay is going to win. So I think we'll move on. You know, I don't want to talk too long about those games just because they had happened, you know, almost a week ago. But other NFL news, obviously, the um, news about coaching hires has been interesting. Houston filling their uh, void by hiring David Culley, who um, honestly I don't know much about. You know, I know that he was a part of... um, forget which team he was a part of a coaching staff that I totally forget which team it was. Um, yes. Colleague coach for the chiefs. That's why, that's why I had remembered it. Cause I thought it was okay. It was something that made sense. Um, so he had coached for Andy Reid for 18 seasons um, and had coached the chiefs wide receivers for a few years uh, from 2013 to 2016 um, so good, good for him, good for Houston to kind of get their new coach. So I think that that will be interesting. Obviously, I don't think it's going to be affecting Deshaun Watson. You know, it sounded like he had asked for a trade before this had happened. Um, and I think we had all knew that this was going to happen, that he was, you know, not happy in Houston. And it kind of was a matter of when would he officially um, ask for a trade. And, you know, obviously that's happened Um, So I think things will be very interesting to see. I think that in terms of a quarterback market, I think that it's pretty good because I think that there are a couple teams that are in a position where they could bring in someone like that. I think Indianapolis, I think Carolina, 
you know, I know that Deshaun Watson wants to go to Miami. I'm not sure how realistic that's going to be because I think, you know, Miami has built a a good culture, but a good young culture. And I just feel like for them to trade for him, you know, yes, it would make them very good. You know, it would put them toe-to-toe with, I think, Buffalo and the AFC East. But on the other hand, you know, whoever gets Deshaun Watson is going to be paying a king's ransom. You know, he's one of the best quarterbacks in the league. You know, you could argue that he's a top five quarterback in the league. I don't think anyone would argue that, actually. Um, but I think, like, whoever trades for him, it's going to be some something ridiculous that I don't think we've ever seen before. Like, I think two first-round picks, maybe three. You know, a team that maybe goes out to, like, 2023 for a first-round pick, like, gives them something like that. Um, and I know a lot of people have been talking about the Patriots, you know, especially with Casario now in charge in Houston, but it's not going to happen. You know, I think that, yes, Deshaun Watson would, would change everything for the Patriots, but on the other hand, the Patriots are a team that they're kind of in a mode where they kind of need to build for the future, and the best way to do that is through the draft. And if you're trading for Deshaun Watson you are going to give up like almost you are going to give up so much talent you know if you're going to trade for him and i think that the patriots are a team where if they're going to trade for someone that is a proven commodity as a quarterback you know they're going to want to try to get someone for you know something that doesn't mortgage their entire future because i don't know if you noticed but the patriots have you know other holes on their roster too so it's like Sure, okay, you could plug the hole with with Watson at quarterback, but it's like, you know, if you lose all those picks and a lot of talent, you know, well, then you're kind of, you're back to square one where, yes, you have a quarterback, but you don't have anything else. So I think that the more likely outcome for the Patriots in terms of a veteran proven commodity is Matthew Stafford. Um, It sounds like he and Detroit, you know, are going to part ways. So, you know, I think that that's something more realistic the Patriots could look at. Um, I think that he would cost a lot less, probably would not cost you multiple first-round picks. You know, Patriots almost certainly would have to trade the first-round pick this year, you know, probably a couple of other decent picks. But I think, like, if they want to get a proven commodity veteran quarterback, that that's, that would be the route that they would go, Um so I think that's something to, to keep in mind in terms of, you know, if they acquire someone. Um, I just don't think it's going to be Watson. I just think that that idea is just a little too crazy. Um, same thing with Aaron Rodgers. You know, I don't really want to even address that. I don't think that that's even realistic whatsoever. Um, so I think only other NFL news is the Senior Bowl practices have been going on this week. I think the game is either tomorrow or Sunday uh, where college seniors will participate in the game. So there's been some interesting, you know, tidbits about certain players. Um, I think for the Patriots, keep your eye on um, Kadarius Toney, who's a wide receiver for uh, Florida, who really is kind of a jack-of-all-trades, like kind of a Tyreek Hill, Curtis Curtis Samuel type player, um, someone that could really line up anywhere out of the backfield, you know, wide receiver, you know, really anything um, that I think the Patriots could have their eyes on as someone who is kind of a dynamic player. And I think that the NFL is kind of 
moving in the direction of using, you know, guys like that. Um, her team, her teams are now using guys like that. You know, if you look at the Saints with um, Deontay Harris, um, Curtis Samuel, obviously, when he's been with Carolina, you know, Tyree Kill, you know, I think that you're seeing kind of a shift in terms of those guys. So um, I think he would be someone to keep your eye on. Mac Jones is obviously a name that's been linked to the Patriots. He apparently, you know, talked with them the other night. So I think that that's going to be very interesting. Keep your eyes on. Um, I could see them picking him. I just think that picking him at 15 might be a little bit too high. Um, And I just have concerns about, obviously he's a very accurate quarterback, but I think like there, I have concerns about him against heavy pressure, which he didn't really face a lot of that at Alabama, you know, and I think had a lot of talent around him, you know, and I've talked about this before, but you know, when you come to go from Alabama to the Patriots, you are kind of not playing with the same level of talent. So I don't think that that necessarily translates, but we'll see. I mean, the Patriots and Alabama connection, you know, is pretty well known. So, you know, I think Bill Belichick will have everything he needs to know about Mac Jones, you know, so you you can either look at that as, you know, a good thing or a bad thing that he has all the information. So he'll make, you know, the, probably the right decision, you know, or he gets really excited about that you know, and, and overdrafts him, but the Patriots are not a team that is going to fall victim to overdrafting. I just don't think that that's going to happen. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if they took a pick on him. I think just, you know, you should, you know, I think the Patriots should see what they can get at 15, you know, if he's available. But I think like if there are other positions and other players that could really make an impact right away, that that might be, you know, a better direction for them to go. So keep your eye on the senior bowl practices. Keep your eye on the game. Um, Hunter Long from BC, there was a nice piece about him um, in the Globe. You know, he would be someone I think the Patriots would be interested in, kind of a big body guy who can block and can receive and probably isn't going to be a guy that's going to have a lot of hype around him. You know, everyone wants to talk about Kyle Pitts, uh, Pat Fryermuth from Penn State. You know, it's also another tight end that I think a lot of people are going to talk about. But Hunter Long, keep your eye on him. Um, and definitely, if you do watch the Senior Bowl, keep an eye on him as well. Um, so I think that's probably it for NFL. We'll move on to the hockey world and the Bruins. Uh, Bruins had a nice win last night against Pittsburgh. 4-1 to one, really had um, no competition in this game. This was not like a Tuesday night's game in which they won in overtime. Um so just a great performance by the Bruins. And I think that, you know, defensively, they have uh, surprised me. They are um, playing a lot better than I would have thought. You know, some of the younger guys are adjusting a lot better than I would have thought. You know, the, pa- the penalty kill has been awesome. You know, they are over 90% kill rate um, on the, sh- you know, while they're shorthanded, which is just awesome. Uh, power play is working great. Bergeron had a couple goals last night. And, you know, Halak was not very busy. You know, Rask has been awesome. Been a lot of good things for the Bruins. I know that a lot of people were upset with how they had been playing the first three games, but it's like, all right, it's the first three games. Let's see how they do. And they come home, and wouldn't you know, lo and behold, they win all four games. And now we're talking about them like, okay, maybe they've caught their stride a little bit, um, which is awesome. You know, it's a lot of good things are happening. 
I know that they've been slightly shorthanded, especially in the last week. Uh, DeBrusque has been out. Grizzlick has been in and out of the lineup uh, with a couple of injuries. You know, Kasha obviously is still um, on the shelf with a concussion, um, which just, it, it sucks for him. Um, he's a guy that I just feel like cannot catch a break, has not been able to catch a break since he came to the Bruins. Um, so, you know, that just sucks. But, you know, other than that, I think the other guys in the forward group have been great. Craig Smith has been a great addition. You know, he scored a couple goals, but he just has that aggressiveness, that shot-first mentality that I think the Bruins really were missing at times last year. Um, and they're doing all this without David Posternak, who uh, possibly might return tomorrow, which would be amazing. Um, but I think, you know, really defensively is really what's caught my eye that, you know, Kevin Miller, yes, he's not been perfect. Yes, he kind of is still the same type of player that he's always been, but for a guy who's been out of the game for a year and a half, you know, he moves pretty well. He looks pretty good. You know, he's been setting that physical tone. He's been a decent pairing with Jakob Zaborl, um, and he's also been really impressive. Lausanne has been great on that top pair with McAvoy, who's putting up some points. You know, Carlo's just been an absolute rock back there. Um, Grizzlick's been, you know, pretty good, but again, he's had some bad luck. Uh, with some injuries, and it sounds like he might be out for the next few days, so Connor Clifton might be stepping into the lineup um, and playing more. He played a couple games um, against Philadelphia last week and then played Tuesday against Pittsburgh. And then Grizzlick played last night and then hurt himself again, so um, kind of unfortunate there, but the Bruins are, are playing good hockey, 5-1-1 one, and one, uh, to start the season, just two points back of Washington, who leads the division, They'll play two games in Washington uh, tomorrow night and then Monday night. So, yes, we will get our first look at Big Z uh, up close in another uniform. Uh, ironically, he scored his first goal last night for the Capitals. Um, and that was weird um, to see him getting mobbed by his teammates. That was weird. Um, you know, and it's like good. I don't want to make it sound like, oh, like I'm angry that he's on another team. You know, good for him. You know, good for the team that they, you know, seem to have taken a liking to him. It's just hard to see him in another uniform being mobbed by teammates that aren't in black and gold. So uh, good for Big Z. I think he had another point last night also on an assist. Um, but it's been mostly good stuff from the Bruins. Um, you know, I think that the complaints that people have are just kind of small ones. You know, it's going to be interesting to see. You know, if Pasternak, if and when he comes back, you know, what is the lineup going to look like? You know, who's going to be, you know, taken out of the lineup? I think that's kind of the biggest thing. You know, I think a lot of people are looking at Anders Bjork that he might be, you know, the odd man out. But he played pretty well last night, um, had a great shift where he was like all around the offensive zone, had a weird shot that got deflected twice and went in. But, you know, I think he's a guy that has had his moments, but I think like he really needs to play at a high level to kind of be like, you can't take me out of the lineup. So I thought that fourth line was great last night, had a couple goals, Corrali and Wagner scored. And Trent Frederick has been a nice surprise uh, where he has played mostly on the third line. Um, and he's just been awesome. He just has given the Bruins a player that plays with edge and physicality, someone that's going to get in people's faces you know, which has been pretty funny. He's had some uh, good chirps with uh, with some players. So it's good to see that he's kind of 
um, making his presence felt um, in the Bruins lineup. So be very curious to see what uh, will change with the Bruins once Pasternak returns, uh, possibly tomorrow, you know, maybe, maybe Monday. Not really sure. We'll have to keep an eye on that. But um, it's been mostly, you know, good stuff for the Bruins um, recently with the four straight wins. So Bruins, obviously, tomorrow night in Washington will continue, try to continue their win streak, which is sitting at four right now. Um, so the rest of the NHL, uh, kind of an exciting night for the league last night. If uh, you were paying attention on Twitter, uh, Alexandre Texier scored an unbelievable shootout goal uh, for Columbus over Florida, uh, just with a one-handed kind of scoop between the legs, uh, which was pretty amazing. Um, and then Alexi Lafreniere scoring his first goal in an overtime win um, over the Sabres, which was just an awesome moment uh, to see him get his first goal, get it in you know, the, the way that he did. Um, so the Rangers, you know, really have not had too much to be happy about uh, to start the season, but that was a pretty cool moment for them um, and the rookie last night. So um, taking a look at the standings, you know, I said Washington is uh, been off to a great start in the East. They're currently winning um, or currently leading the division with 13 points. Uh, they have not lost or not lost in regulation. Um, and the Bruins and the Flyers, just two points back of them in the East. In the North Division, just the uh, the Canadian Division, uh, Montreal has still not lost in regulation. Uh, they're 5-0-2. Toronto leads the division at 7-2-0. They have 14 points. Uh, Winnipeg's off to a decent start. Obviously, there was that massive trade um, this week. Line and Roslovic going to Columbus for... Um, Pierre-Luc Dubois, that was a wild trade that I think, you know, it's, it's on the surface. I think it seems like a ridiculously lopsided deal, but I'm not really sold. Like, I think that both sides can, um, can come out well from this because I think you had Laine, who obviously I don't think was happy in Winnipeg. You had Jack Roslovic, who was just straight up refusing to play. You know, so it's like, yes, okay, why did they trade him too? But it's like, if he didn't want to play there, it's kind of hard to blame them for that. And it's like, honestly, you know, I don't know if Line is going to last in Columbus. And so it's like, okay, maybe Winnipeg actually did a really, made a really smart move here. Um, getting Pierre-Luc Dubois, who I think is a tremendous player, um, you know, kind of interesting that he went to Winnipeg, but... You know, Winnipeg might actually be, they might actually come out okay with this, you know, especially if Line A um, doesn't end up playing great with Columbus and maybe, you know, tests the free agent market, which I think he will regardless. Um, so it certainly was a wild trade that went, like, sent shockwaves through the league. Um, there also have been some crazy things that have happened, like Jim Rutherford, the uh, Pittsburgh general manager you know, just resigned the other day, you know, for personal reasons. No one's really sure why. Um, so that was kind of a big news thing for the NHL. So um, getting back to the standings, you know, if we look at the West, uh, Vegas is off to a good start. Colorado and Minnesota is continuing to play pretty good hockey. Um, then you got Columbus, who's atop of the Central, and um, you have Dallas, Tampa Bay, and Florida, who are just, like, getting back to playing after um, – having a lot of games postponed. So uh, Dallas, obviously, is the team that started 
very late, but they have picked up right where they left off from um, that Stanley Cup run last year. They've won their first four games and uh, are outscoring teams 19-6 to in their first four games. So uh, good stuff from Dallas to start the season. So I think that probably uh, does it for hockey. Um, obviously, with the calendar getting closer to February, we're getting closer to uh, the Bruins and Flyers outdoor game in Lake Tahoe, which uh, will be fun to watch. I think uh, I think Colorado is also playing out there as well. So uh, keep your eyes on that as that will happen in, uh, I think, three weeks, I want to say. So I think as we finish with the NHL, we'll get on to the NBA and talking about the Celtics. And it's uh, not been, I don't know, it's not been... Uh, it's been very strange being a Celtics fan in the last week because um, you had another tough loss to the Sixers. The Celtics bounced back with a couple of uh, dominant wins at the end of the weekend and then um, on Monday against Chicago and then just had a confounding loss to uh, the Spurs on Wednesday, uh, a game in which Jason Tatum finally returned to the court after missing uh, close to three weeks uh, after testing positive for COVID-19. So he was back in the lineup. They had a lineup with uh, Kemba Walker, Jason Tatum, and Jalen Brown for the first time all season. Um, you know, Kemba Kemba was okay. You know, he's still kind of working his way back. Jalen Brown continues to be, I mean, one of the best players in the league. Like, he is playing at a level that I've never seen him play before. And honestly, like, is not a level I thought he could get to. Um, and is really kind of holding the team together in terms of just being so consistent, being so consistent in that mid, mid-range. Um, and he's just playing at such an unbelievable level. But obviously the confounding nature of the loss on Wednesday, you know, Brad Stevens choosing to play, you know, 12, 13 guys playing, choosing to play, you know, a lot of his bench, which, you know, I think on the surface – it wasn't the worst idea because I think it, when you have, you know, a lineup of Jalen, Jason, and Kemba Walker for the first time all season, you know, you want to kind of try and see what other combinations can work because, you know, you've not had this combination of players all season. Um, and so I think it, it makes sense that you want to try to get as many guys in as possible, but it just felt like the units that they came out with had no energy at certain points and, you know, let the Spurs take, uh, you know, a 14-point lead, you know, into halftime in which was like a nine-point lead for the Celtics, you know, midway through that second quarter and the Spurs went on this crazy run. And it's like, look, I understand that you want to get try to figure out what com- combinations are going to work, but I don't know. It just, it just seems strange that that's what happened and then the Celtics had to play catch up the rest of the second half, ran out of steam. Um, but it just was like, it was just strange. It was strange to see that. Um, and it just doesn't bode well because it's like you have a loss like that. And now you have to play the Lakers, you know, who have been probably the best team in the league. And they're coming off two straight losses, including a loss last night to Detroit, one of the worst teams in the league. So you can bet that the Lakers are going to come in uh, firing against the Celtics uh, tomorrow night. So it's like, it's not lining up to be great for the Celtics tomorrow. But, you know, I think that this team has had an ability to put things behind them. The Celtics 
Um, obviously had lost three straight games going into the weekend, got a couple wins. And I think, you know, with Jason Tatum being back and um, Kemba Walker getting closer to full health, the Celtics, you know, should have, you know, a good, I think are going to be in store for a good showing tomorrow night. Um, you know, do they win? I think that that's a separate story, but I think that it's going to be a big measuring stick, but it's also going to be like, okay, how do you come back from a difficult loss? Um, so I think that will be very interesting. Um, you know, and I talked about Jalen Brown. He's just been awesome. Um, really is coming into his own as um, really a, a superstar player, you know, and someone that should absolutely deserve to be an all-star team, maybe even should be a starter. Um, just how, how good he's been. Um, I think obviously you've had some, uh, games rescheduled in the NBA because of COVID. The Celtics obviously had, um, the games a couple weeks ago, but, um, as I said, the Celtics do have a number of, uh, games coming up on the West coast. They do have a West coast road trip. And I'll just say the way the scheduling is shaken out is, um, unfortunate because the Celtics, uh, obviously, we're out on the road this week in Chicago and in San Antonio. Um, and for some reason, you know, they are coming home for one game. They're coming home for one game against the Lakers, and then they're going back out on the road for five straight games away from TD Garden. Uh, Golden State, Sacramento, the Clippers, Phoenix, and then Utah. So the Celtics will not return uh, to TV Garden until February 11th against Toronto. Um, so, you know, I think that this next, you know, two weeks or whatever you want to call it, you know, is really going to be a test for the Celtics. Um, you know, and some of these teams are pretty good. You know, you got the Lakers, you got the Clippers, Phoenix, and Utah. Um, you know, and then you got Sacramento and Golden State, you know, and those are pretty solid teams too. You know, Sacramento much is much like um, the Knicks, you know, a team that's kind of a young roster, but if you're not up to play them, they can beat you and they can get you. So I think the Celtics have to be very, very careful um, in these games because it really could get out of hand um, with some of the teams you're going to play. So I think hopefully they get a good performance against the Lakers. You know, I think that it's a tall task to ask them to beat them. But I think, you know, the Celtics have played well against some good teams in the league. You know, had um, obviously that season opening win against the Bucks. Um, you had that great last-second win against the Heat. You know, you played pretty hard against uh, Philadelphia last week without Tatum. So, you know, I think that this will be interesting. The Celtics, I think, are going to want to be hungry and bounce back. And I think the Lakers will be hungry, too. Um Anthony Davis did not play last night for the Lakers, so that will be something to keep your eye on for tomorrow, see if he plays or not. Um, and then in terms of the NBA standings, you know, it's kind of been a little all over the place just because teams have been postponing games. Uh, but the Sixers have um, continued to be a really solid team. They're 13-6, and six, leading the Eastern Conference a game, game and a half ahead of the Bucks, the Pacers, and the Nets. And the Celtics, you know, are just two games behind Philadelphia, so... Um, things are very interesting in the Eastern Conference. Um, the Jazz are on top in the West. They have had a really good start, as have the Clippers um, and the Lakers. Um, 
because I think Utah has really been the team that's been um, blowing people away. They've won 10 straight games um, and have vaulted to the top of the NBA standings. They are 14-4, and four, which I think would put them like a game and a half ahead of uh, Philadelphia for the best record. So good stuff for them. Um, so I think that that probably does it for the NBA. Uh, we will now get to our interview with Eric Bellier. And welcome back, everyone. We'll uh, welcome in our uh, expert interviewer, our expert interviewee, if you want to say that. Um, Eric Bellier joins the podcast now. Eric, what's up, man? Nothing. I think expert's a big title for me. That's big shoes for me to fill. I'll, <laughs> listen, I'll take it. Hey, all right. I'm doing good. You doing all right? I'm good, yeah. I'm looking forward to talking some baseball. So um, Eric is a contributing writer to Metsmerized, which is a uh, Mets blog. You can also... Uh, Follow Eric on Twitter. It's at ebellier21. Eric underscore bellier21. Eric underscore, okay. All right. Well, you can uh, follow him, all of his content. And uh, so, yeah, I think we can just get right into it. So um, free agency, we've seen a lot of moves kind of happen maybe in the last week or so. Um, just free agency as a whole, like what do you make of, of it so far? So this year, you know, if you go back a couple of years to the years that to the year that JD signed with the Red Sox, Martinez and Hosmer signed with the Padres, everything was kind of deadlocked. Where the whole, even with Harper and Machado too, with the bigger names, where they were, the, the, the whole market was deadlocked until they made their decisions. And this year, this year was a well-rounded class in the sense that they were the big fish like a Springer, like a Real Muto, like a Bauer, which we'll get to. But it was a deeper class in the sense where meaningful guys were moving around all throughout the offseason, which as a whole was kind of surprising because of COVID, right? You know, last year the big thing was with, with the Players Association was that they didn't think that because of the prorated salaries and everything right. that these guys weren't going to be getting paid and, the market this year is surprising to me because of COVID is that I kind of thought it was going to be dragging along, but it's been, it's been active in spurts, like around what would be the winter meetings time, you know, James McCann and Trevor May signed. And then, you know, we're starting to hear Springer now and Bauer. I mean, listen, as of right now, camp's supposed to start in three weeks, pitchers and catchers. (laughs) So, you know, Bauer wants to have a team soon. So you're going to start seeing the bigger names start to drop. Hmm. Um, so we've seen plenty of kind of one year, like two year, like short deals. What, like, what do you make of that? Is that just um, these certain guys or certain teams or is it well, something more? a lot more? of guys, you know, baseball's the one sport as we see, you know, not to get into basketball at all, but everybody and their brother wants to go to Brooklyn now. Yeah. Um, you know, taking buyouts just to sign with Brooklyn. And, you know, this year, like, look at Marcus Simeon, right? Perfect example. Took a high a high deal money-wise for lesser years mm-hmm. with Toronto because Toronto, you know, even although with Simeon and Springer, and which we'll talk about, I still think it's the Yankees division to lose, but mm-hmm. this team is very, very intriguing. There's a lot of guys that, you know, Darren O'Day, who's a, one of the quieter relievers in baseball, just signed two and a half million for a year mm-hmm. with the with the um, Yankees, and and guys are, you know, taking the opportunity to to go win now and prove themselves. 
And, and I think you're going to start seeing more and more of that where, you know, I don't think Bauer is going to be taking an eight or nine year deal. You know, I think he's going to be a two, three, four year, year deal guy with a contender for a high, high uh, average annual value. You know, it, it just guys are looking at it where they can go to win and they're not necessarily chasing mm-hmm. money. If if you were to like uh, bet money on like the place that Bauer is going to end up, where where would you? What would be your feeling right now? So Bauer's weird, right? Because well, as a person, he's kind of weird because you can you can't you can read guys in free agency, right? Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's for example when it was Springer, it was always the Mets in Toronto, the Mets in Toronto, the Mets in Toronto, where Bauer uses his platform. Like we've seen players using platforms in a sense that, you know, they, they, to promote what they're doing. Like, for example, Trevor Mays on Twitch, and he's very, he's very well known for it. But Bauer built this brand where, you know, called Momentum, and he's gotten other players into it, where him and his agent started a YouTube channel, which is free, obviously, and we're doing day-to-day vlogs and Basically, try like during the season what it's like during COVID, and mm-hmm. he built this industry for this this community for himself that has really taken off, and and he, in my opinion, is going to want to develop that. And 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 the two you know entertainment capitals of the of, of the country are New York and LA, right? Sure. And and I think the Yankees are not going to touch him because they they have money tied up elsewhere. You know, I think. I'm not trying to sound like the homer, but I think the Mets have the most shot, as the best shot, because they can give them more money compared to the Dodgers or the Angels. And, you know, although I do think that the Dodgers are the better team, if you put them on paper next to the Mets right now, you know, Bauer goes to the Mets, you have two aces, two number twos, and a number three is your rotation. Mm-hmm. You know, I think he sees M plus very close with Lindor and Carrasco, who they traded for. Sure. Yep. Um, I wouldn't be surprised. Three years, you know. You could say I would say probably three years, seventy five ish, eighty ish. In that in that range, where I think the Mets front office doesn't want to upset Degrom and make him annual. You know, making more than Degrom to be the second starter. Yep. You know, so. I think who took a pay cut to be with the Mets, in my opinion. I mean, look at the contract that Cole got, and 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 Degrom is signed a hundred thirty-five million dollar contract. Mm-hmm. So to me, I think Bauer's going to come here and 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 you know be a Met. If yeah. not if not the Angels, I think it's going to be the Mets. Gotcha. Um, so you've seen a couple of kind of players that have signed kind of big deals to Springer, Real Muto yesterday. Um, DJ LeMahieu also stayed with the Yankees. How do you think those like big free agent deals are going to turn out? So first and first and foremost, I think the 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 DJ LeMahieu deal is a huge, 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 huge win for the Yankees. Um, LeMahieu, as a player, kind of got the Colorado stench off of him. Mm-hmm. You know, he was he had the the stigma on him that was oh he can only hit in Coors Field. Similar to why Todd Helton's not in the Hall of Fame. Hmm. Um, but he, he won a batting title here. Um, he, he can play anywhere in the infield that you need him. And for $90 million over six years at, at, a, at, a, you know, at a 31 years old age, 
you know, you front load the contract and you are capable of, of playing him at first base during his regressing years, mm-hmm. per se. And, and, and he's a guy that is a stalwart of that offense right now. Because, look, when, when Judge went down, when Stanton was out, when whoever was out, DJ was there. And DJ friggin' DJ, – DJ is what you call a professional hitter. Like, yeah. you know – you look at him and you go, okay, he's at least going to hit you 282. At least, but, like, his floor is 280-290. And in that stadium, he could get you 25, 30 bombs easily a year. Hmm. So, for on the Yankees' front, you know – Win-win. Cashman's a genius. You know, as much as I don't want to hype them up, the Yankees are freaking... Cashman's the best in the game of what he does for a reason. Um, the Real Muto deal, I, you know... At first, at the beginning of last year, I was a big proponent of the Mets going after uh, Real Muto just because, you know, you haven't made a big move like that since Mike Piazza, mm-hmm. right? You haven't been able to bring in that big-time superstar. That was consistent. Because, you know, you brought in Cespedes, who was great in 2015, but then it was like he fell off a cliff from there. Um, but then the hip issue started to arise, and, and, you know, people say, oh, he played 44 games, this, that, and the other thing. But you're signing a guy after, you you know, who, who for five years, $115 million is a very high price for a guy who will be 30 years old before opening day and with a hip problem. You know, to me... You know, you can. I'm content with four years at you know the forty-ish million dollars a team like the Mets gave McCann, who is not as good as Real Muto, but consistent, mm-hmm. which is what you need, and and a well-rounded player. Um, I think the Phillies sign themselves up to win eighty games a year. Mm-hmm. You know, out of outside of their starting, they're not addressing their needs. You know, I think okay. they look at you know you bring in Real Muto, all of a sudden you bring back Real Muto, all of a sudden the pitching's going to be better. You know, mm-hmm. the bullpen is going to be better when they need to understand that they need to address the team, you know, sure. address the team as a whole. And after the guys like the Uglies, the Howards, the Victorinos, they were all gone, they didn't rebuild the right way. And and the, you're starting to see now that they're botching their rebuild. And, you know, sure, the offense is there, McCutcheon, Real Muto, Hoskins, Harper, but – the consistency is not there. Mm-hmm. And I think this money is go. This contract is just going to tie up, you know, the Phillies even more down the road because you put this $155 million deal with the 300 and whatever million dollar deal that Harper got mm-hmm. both with no opt outs and Harper has a full no trade clause. It's mm-hmm. going to hurt him. Well, so I guess like I'm so, and I might be silly for asking this question, but like, why, what would motivate them to sign him to a contract like that, you know, if yeah, so it just seems weird? Me, it was, you know, that was his market. He's the best catcher in baseball, far mm-hmm. right? But the, the, the catcher's position has evolved where this is a, a stat that I'm very hung up on is in 20, I always go back to the year 2018 where you really started seeing it. There were five catchers that caught more than 120 games. Mm-hmm. You know, the catcher's position is a two-man position now. Right. Where, you know, you bring in a guy for lesser money, he plays 120 games, or personal catchers are a big thing now. Like, you saw it Sammy Leone when he was in Boston with Chris Sale. Absolutely, yeah. Right? So, so you know, guys are more comfortable with other guys, but they view Real Muto as a superstar guy 
who will give you 140-plus games a year, 130-plus games a year, and be able to hit the way he does. Because that's the big draw. As good as he is defensively is that catchers can't really hit as much anymore. Yeah. And and a lot of catchers are drafted based off defense, and Rio Muto does everything right. Mm. But again, 30 years old. Yeah. You know, you really want to be paying. You really want to be paying a guy at, at thirty-four. You know, all that money for mm-hmm. for what could start being a regression. Sure. Me. Hmm. And then Springer, you know, from what I understand about the situation with Springer, is that Springer was Springer's agent took the Mets offer, which was around one hundred twenty-five million dollars, which mm-hmm. they said that they were the, that was his cap, the the, the team's cap. And they said, we're going to take this unless you give us this to, to, to Toronto. And quite frankly, with, with Canada's um, income tax situation, so if you make over, I think it's like a quarter of a million dollars a year, 33% of your annual salary is already taken out. And then mm-hmm. on top of that, your free health insurance in Canada gets taken out. So realistically, he's only seeing about 50% of his contract, which mm-hmm. is crazy. Um, but he views this team as a, as a young team, in my opinion, that he views this team as a young up and coming team that's putting the pieces together. And like I said, I do think that, that this is the Yankees division to lose. However, mm-hmm. you know, but the Bo Bichette's, the Vlad juniors, the, you know, Craig Vigio's kid, you know, the, the pitching staff bringing in Ryu, bringing in Kirby Yates, you know, this team is, has the opportunity, the, the potential is there and they're young and they're going to be fun. So I think that, you know, he chased the money in a sense and, yeah. and went there. No harm, no foul. I think, you know, if the, if the Mets didn't get Lindor, I think Met fans would be ripping their eyeballs out. Yeah. But, but you know, they're able to – this isn't a move you, you, lose, you lose sleep over. Okay. In a sense. He went, he went and took more money, and, and that's okay, but he's in, an, he's in a position where he's the leader of that clubhouse, which that wasn't there in, in Houston. And I don't think that would have been there here because there's guys with the Mets that are that are very very not outspoken but vocal. Yeah, and you see that. And I don't think he he would he would have fit in here compared to being the quote unquote veteran leader of that locker. Yeah. Um, were there um any teams that you felt should be like more active or you figure like would be more involved in certain players? Yeah. I, you know, it amazes me that the Angels are just okay with wasting Mike Trout's career. Hmm. It amazes me that, you know, they're, they've always been this team where they try to bolster the offense, bolster the offense, bring in, you know, you saw it when they brought in Hamilton and, and, um, and Pujols at the time, and, and they tried to add Upton to it, and Otani's a two-way player, oh my goodness. Um, you know, they brought in Rendon. And they always try to do these little, like, tip ta- you know, tippy-tack signings where, oh, Julio Tehran was one of the best starting pitchers in 2014. Maybe he could do that again in 2019. Like, mm-hmm. they, they don't address the needs as much as they should. And, and to me, you have the best player in, the, in, in, in our generation and potentially could be ever when he's retired, and, and you're not going to try to build a legitimate team around him. Mm-hmm. It, the, it's scary too because you're bringing a winner in Joe Madden and, and you sure. don't just and, and you almost like fold to me 
Hmm. And it's like Chris Bryant's a free agent or on the trade block. Yeah. Go trade for him. Play him in the outfield. Like make make intriguing moves. And with yeah. the Angels not making moves, it just doesn't make sense to me because they try to similar to the Mets and Yankees, right? As much as I love the Mets, they'll always be baby brother to the Yankees. You know, being the Los Angeles Angels, they'll always be baby brother to baby brother to uh, to the Dodgers. And it is what it is. But you have the best player in our generation. <laughs> try to build something. So, um, moving towards the, the Mets, you know, your definitely area of specialty. Um, so it, it was interesting that you mentioned Mike Piazza because I was wondering if, so obviously Mets with the new ownership, they make this big trade for Lindor. Do you think this signals a change in the organization that they're going to start being more aggressive and trying to go after players like this? Yes. I, you know, I'm not going to sit here and ride the, the Steve Cohen train, you know, as much as everybody else has. But, mm-hmm. you know, he has said and done almost everything right since since taking the team over. Um, with his press conferences, you know, when he got introduced as the owner, when he brought Sandy Alderson back, you know, he said, he's like, this isn't a thing for me to make money. Like, this is a passion project for me. Sure. You know, he's, a, he's from Long Island. Cheap plug. Um, he's from Long Island. He, he, he's a diehard Met fan, and and he had the capability to buy the team and wants to turn it into a winner and a consistent winner. And and the way that they've attacked this offseason, for example, you know, the talk about the Mets talking about going to get Lindor was quiet. You know, the, when they when they announced the trade and, and, and Alderson did the press conference and the GM that won't be named, um, they, they said they've been talking since early December, which no one knew that, right? Mm-hmm. There's always a tweet that so-and-so and so-and-so were in talks. Always, right. right? You didn't hear about that. You know, the Mets signed arguably the best the best uh, relief pitcher in, in, in the um, in free agency this year in Trevor May. Didn't see that coming. You know, Met fans are not complacent because we're from New York and we're a hungry, we're a hungry fan base. But they they were always hungry for that big move. And Sandy Alderson, we got a taste of that when they went and got Cespedes. And, mm-hmm. and I think Cohen bringing in Alderson was a sign to try to give him a chance to be the head of an organization, of that organization, without having his, 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 you know, his hands tied. Because mm-hmm. the Wilpons nickel and dimed everything and everybody. And now it's it's like... It's not afraid. You're not afraid to go near the luxury tax. You know, mm-hmm. you're not afraid to go out and trade for the best player. You know, the best shortstop in baseball, arguably, and and on a one year deal, and then extend them. Hopefully, extend them before spring training. You know, Cohen has done and said all the right things in every aspect of the organization so far. You know, even still, right when COVID hit, the Wilpons laid off half, more than half of the front office. The first thing they did. First thing Cohen did as the owner was give them stipend, you know, give them money, you know, be able to say you're getting your job back, but here's something, hold on tight, you know, and and to me, it's a breath of fresh air, you know, you're not hearing about how, you know, Fred Wilpon went and made Pedro Martinez pitch against Dontrell Willis to sell tickets when he was hurt, you know, it's 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 no longer that, it's transparency that Mets fans and, and the organization has wanted for years, and, hmm. and now they're getting it. So Cohen is, you know, hit. It, and I've always been critical of ownership everywhere. You know, I'm on, 
I'm on John Henry's case, and I don't care about the Red Sox. Yeah. Um, to me, it's just like it's something so new hmm. that it's almost like you you're always on the edge of your seat when you open up Twitter because you don't know what's next. Mm-hmm. And 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 now, and he's even funny on there. He's interacting with guys about stocks. Yeah. And it's just like he he is such the right guy for this that to handle a big market and he's so low key and he does great things in the community with his wife too. It's it just everything that he needs to do right. He's done right. Gotcha. So going over to, you know, the, the Red Sox, the team here in Boston, um, what do you make of the free agent signings that they've made? Cause they've made a flurry of kind of small moves in the last yeah. few weeks. Curious about what you thought about those. So, I'll do the, the Kike Hernandez one first. Um, Kike Hernandez, the way I explained him, is that he's the non-American Brock Holt. You yeah. know, fans should be excited to have Kike Hernandez there. Kike Hernandez can do anything and everything, can play every position in the field besides behind the plate and pitch, um, can hit, will go through his little bit of ebbs and flows, but is pretty consistent. Mm-hmm. You know, you could see him in either the sixth spot or towards the top of the order, depending on what they want to do there. Um He's a quiet player now. Is he a player that you build around? No. He's not a guy that can be the cornerstone of your organization. But Heim Bloom is known for making these type of signings. Um, I like Kike. I want a Kike to come play third base. Mm-hmm. That's, um, Kike is going to be a guy that you will see literally play everywhere. Whether, yeah. you know, uh, if, if JBJ comes back, for example... JBJ is playing center field. He needs a day off. Kike can go there. Third base, he could play there. You know, take give X a day off. Let him DH. He can play. He can play short. Mm-hmm. You know, this team. I mean, th- th- this guy is a jack of all trades and is consistent. You know, the, the Kike move was a, was a great move. The Adovino move is just smart in the sense that you gave up nothing, literally, and then you know you're able to take Adovino now and. I'm going to say if they are not in contention towards the deadline, you know, you can trade him to a contender mm. and then get more assets, which mm-hmm. again is a high bloom special. Yeah. You know, I've never, I, I'm not going to sit here and say that, that high bloom, you know, that, that the Red Sox are a small market team because they never were and they never will be, but they're not operating with as deep as pockets as they once used to. Mm-hmm. Um, these are the type of moves that helps you build the organization. Yeah. And and I think moving the, – the prospect that they got, uh, Herman, was the Yankees' 24th-ranked prospect at the time. And guy can pitch. His off-speed stuff's nasty. He's young. Um, I don't think you'll see him this year, but you'll see him mm-hmm. in the next few. But, you know, now you kind of figure out. You make your way through. You fill in the needs like who's playing center field. You know? Right. You know, are you moving Benintendi? These mm-hmm. are the st- these are the questions you got to start asking. Yeah. You know, like when is Dahlbeck going to be up consistently? Sure. You know, they're talking they're talking to Moreland now. He's going to be the everyday first baseman if he comes in. You know, so it's like where to go from here at this point? I think Bloom Bloom is such a you know we're in a new age of baseball where analytics are almost becoming the end all be all. And he's operated the same way, um, that way in Tampa and here. And I think he's going to be able to make moves to make this team not not a, a, a contender, but very interesting. Mm-hmm. 
interesting and intriguing. Similar to what the Rays always are, you know? Sure. But with bigger names. You know, you get Sale coming back, mm-hmm. JD. You know, the bigger names are there, X, Devers, whoever it may be. But you're not operating with as much deeper pockets. What did you think about the um, – so the Red Sox brought in Garrett Richards and Andreese. I was curious about what you thought about those guys. Yeah, so Richards has a load of upside. Um, a guy who has just struggled with staying healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, but when he was healthy, you know, the Angels, that's kind of where the Angels dropped down and started pitching started was when Richards started, you know, they started to realize Richards wasn't it because it was supposed to go Jared Weaver, Garrett Richards. Weaver retires Richards your race for the next 10 years. Just couldn't stay healthy. Um, when he is healthy, though, he's legit, electric fastball. Andreese's an arm, a depth arm, a guy that can pitch both out of the rotation as an opener, which I know the Red Sox with Bloom there are going to probably exper- experiment with a little mm-hmm. bit. Yeah. And, um, but, but again, it's, it's Andrews is a guy that could start and come out of the pen. I'm interested to see the mixture of Bloom, Cora, and, and Henry work together because not saying Cora is from the old regime, mm-hmm. but look at the teams that Cora had where they were able to spend money freely, right? Mm. Um, Bloom's not that type of guy, and Henry, in a, in a sense, is crying broke right now. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be interesting to see how they operate as a group because Cora is always going to not be in the ear to get players, but always going to suggest. And and it's going to be up to Bloom and Henry and that you know that group of that team that Bloom has assembled to really say, hey, look, what do we want to do? But mm-hmm. it all depends on how the first four months, three months of the season goes, in my opinion. Sure. Um, you know, there's been a lot in kind of the Boston media specifically, you know, when I'm reading the globe and reading stuff about the Red Sox and there are a lot of people that are kind of not upset, but like kind of confused as to why the Red Sox and why, you know, Bloom is running the team this way that people are like, okay, why are we, you know, now like the Tampa Bay Rays and we're not, you know, spending a lot of money. And, you know, I don't know, I kind of, don't mind what they're doing now because I think it's it's smart. It's trying to contend for the longest time you can and not just bring in big-name, big-money guys and be like, oh, look how good we can be for two years. Right. They're, they're contending both. They, they're not necessarily trying to contend in a sense right now mm-hmm. as much as Bloom's going to give you lip service and say they are. Right. Um, they're trying to put the best product on the field now to build towards the next three, four, five, six years. You know, again, it goes back to the sense of style that, you know, Red Sox fans and big market team fans aren't really used to where, you know, the Red Sox are going to start going after the Randy or Rosarinas of the world prior to this season. You know what I mean? Where a guy that doesn't have the best of stories was a, was a cog in a trade and blew up. Mm-hmm. You know, where that's going to be the type of – you're going to start seeing the shifting of lineups more, in my opinion. That's why it's such a weird dynamic with this team because right. you have small market guy in Bloom. Mm-hmm. You have Alex Cora. And in, but at the same time, from a personnel standpoint, you know, you had once what was regarded as one of the best pitchers in baseball with Chris Sale. You have one of the best pure hitters of base in baseball in J.D. Martinez. Younger guys, younger studs like Devers and, and Bogarts. It's very, very weird to see how this team is going to – it's going to be very interesting to see how this team is built because you have stalwarts in that lineup 
with a GM that likes to, you know, move things around daily mm-hmm. with a manager that doesn't manage that way. So it's going to be definitely very interesting to see how, how they handle this because writers, Boston is right up there with New York with cutthroat sports media. You know, it's not a place where you can run an eye. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and this whole group's going to be under fire for, for, you know, the time being with, with, with the way this team's going to be built. So last Red Sox question, do you think they trade Benintendi? Yes, because again, you know, they were able to make a deal where I, for some reason, my gut reaction was that the Yankees were getting Benintendi as mm. like a, as like a way to clear him, get a prospect and get an expiring contract type thing. Yeah. Um, but to me, I think Benintendi is going to be a guy that, you know, is going to be moved, but I'm not going to say before opening day. Okay. Because if he comes out in the first four months and hits 300, you're going to get a lot more than the guy that they say can't hit lefty pitching if the ball's on a tee. Right. You know, so they're going to have to, they're going to wait and see with Benatendi process because he's so damn young. Right. And and, and, and he's raw. He's still very raw. I don't mm. care what anybody says. I'm a big proponent of Benatendi. I think he's a guy, you know, I'll use a Mets example as Michael Conforto. Mm. You know, a guy that was similar to Benatendi in a sense where was drafted high, you know, uh, Conforto was a first-round pick for them, zoomed through the minor leagues, I think came up the same year he was drafted, played in the World Series, couldn't hit lefties for the first three, two, three years until they started giving them the opportunity to play against lefties consistently to now where he's a consistent 260, 270 hitter and hitting 30 home runs a year. So, you know, I think I think it's a wait-and-see game with, with – with Ben Intendi, and they can decide, listen, if he shows improvements, they can either ca- cash in and, and trade him at his highest value, A, or B, hold on to him and make him a cornerstone of the team. You know, they were, mm-hmm. it's the, the, the opportunities for Ben, the ball's in Ben Intendi's court. It's, it's, now it's time to step up, because I believe he's going to be 24, 25. He's been in the, you know, he's been a part of the organization the last handful of years, won a World Series with him. He needs to, you know, just be consistent, and it's going to be up to the front. Bloom what what he wants to do. Mm-hmm. You know, Bloom's known for making moves with his bigger name guys, and Benintendi is is a bigger name guy in the organization. But I wouldn't say necessarily in the baseball world right now. Gotcha. So now, kind of moving off of free agency, I know that we both wanted to talk about the the Hall of Fame vote, um, as we found out today or yesterday that. Um, no one had been selected. Do you have a? Did you have a reaction to that at all? So it was a big "I told you so" type thing for hmm. me because now this year is one of the worst first ballot classes I've seen in a while, and and I think I mm-hmm. think out of the group of guys, the number that I saw, I think only three guys, and I can't think of who the third one is, but I know one's Tory Hunter, and I know one is Mark Burley they were able to hold on and stay on the ballot, um, which kind of killed, you know, the opportunity to, you know, I'm going to kind of look at this in tiers where, you know, the next tier are guys that gain votes. You know, if you look at Billy Wagner, who, in my opinion, no doubt should be a Hall of Famer, um, has been trending upwards where he got 54% of the vote this year, mm-hmm. um, which is big. And, and, and some guys like Edgar Martinez take a while. And, and I think Billy Wagner is going to be that guy 
where you know you keep trending up, you keep trending up, and to the point where you're going to get in. Um, you know, Omar Vesquel lost votes this year because of off the field rumors, which we'll get we'll get in with another guy in a minute. But um, you know, he lost votes because of that. You know, and then there's like there's always the debate. Oh, is Jeff Kent a Hall of Famer? Oh, is Scott Rowland a Hall of Famer? And those guys kind of stayed static, and then. You know, you get to what you what I like to call the last couple of years of the big three, and Bonds and Clemens didn't gain ground. Um, I I don't think they're going to get in next year. Um, the whole steroid scandal there is is well, if you tested, you know, they didn't test positive, and oh, Bud Selig's in the Hall of Fame, so they should be in the Hall of Fame. The same people that elected the, the people that elected Bud Selig are not the people that vote for the players. It's different committees. Hmm. Um, I don't see them two, those two getting in. Yeah. Not a shock to me. And and the whole Kurt Schilling thing is just a joke. You know, I think Chris Rose hit, it, hit the nail on the head who tweeted a video out and said, you know, when I think of Kurt Schilling, the player, you know, I think of a guy is one of the best postseason pitchers of all time. And, and sure as hell deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Um, hmm. Has done things in the postseason that guys, he's one of four guys to do certain things in the postseason, and one of them is Sandy Koufax. Hmm. You know, big, uh, the other three guys that are there, Randy Johnson, another one, all in the Hall of Fame. Um, but, and I said this to somebody the other day, and I said, if, if Kurt Schilling just shut up for a year, he'd be a Hall of Famer. Just, hmm. shut, just shut up. You're a Hall of Famer. You know, but he... In the in the in the in the current state of the country that we're in, he feels the need to say what he wants, and it came back and bit him in the butt. Now, ultimately, the the uh, Baseball Writers Association denied uh, him asking, which I, I'm sure you saw yeah. him asking to be taken off the ballot. Um, he'll get in based off the Veterans Committee, mm-hmm. which the Veterans Committee is a, is a group of former players and general managers and a group of guys that that vote for guys that didn't get in on the regular ballot but think that they deserve to get in. And like Jack Morris got in that way. Sure. That's you know, I think I think that's where that's where Schilling's gonna get in and baseball wise, he's a hundred million percent a Hall of Fame. Okay. You know first I you know, I think Kurt Schilling, I think postseason legend, baseball pitching legend mm-hmm. should be in the Hall of Fame. You know, gotcha. but just his mouth hurt him, but plain and simple. You know, there's no other way to put it, not getting into it, but mm-hmm. it's just to me, you know, vote on the player, not, sure. not the person, you know? Sure. That's just me. Um, I think there were like 14 or 15 ballots that were just blank. Like, what 14, do you, yep. what do you the think about ever. that? Yeah. The highest ever. Yeah. I think, I think the people who vote need an overhaul. I think I think the way it's it's voted on, I think it's flawed. I think getting guys that are around the game more, like a, I'll use New York names for example, like a Michael K, like a, you know, like a Susan Waldman, and and and, and like a Howie Rose and Gary Cohen, like guys that are invested in the game more than it's just a job. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And Bob Costas, although he's in. I think deserves a vote. You know, guys that Joe Buck think deserves a vote. 
you know, guys that are invested in the game and and know the game better than the writers, they the, the, they should be the ones that vote because, you know, we can have the argument of, of the whole steroid thing at nauseum. And, hmm. you know, I think what Roger Clemens did only hurt the game. You know, his actions in Congress lying under oath, you know, I think that hurt the game more than his, his play helped it. Although his numbers say Hall of Famer, I think his actions are what's killing him. I think players need to be voted simply by how they play. Same thing with Bonds, right? You know, his neck and biceps grew 37 inches. Not, you know, exaggerating that number, but, you know, he was the poster boy for steroids. Mm-hmm. And, and it kind of, you know, tainted the game, but at the same time, the game was, was at, a, at the highest level that we've said that that many people have seen the last 30 years. And it's almost like honor. Do you honor that? Or do you try to grow the game by saying, Hey, little Jimmy, you know, don't stick a needle in you and play the game the right way. You know, sure. It's just like, and and the voters that voted think that leaving the ballots blank makes, you know, gives the game integrity. It doesn't Mm. give the game integrity. It makes you look like an idiot. That's what it does. Yeah. Yeah, I think I was kind of disappointed when I saw that, where it's like, geez, you couldn't have selected one person? I mean, I don't... Yeah. I think, I think you know, last year's class, um, outside of Walker and Jeter, um, you know, Harold Baines got in. Mm-hmm. The world, the, the, the Hall of Fame is turning into the Hall of Very Good. Yeah. And it's, and it's, and it's crappy. Um, um. To me, you know, looking looking at the ballot next year, as much as it's going gonna to kill you, you know, the two headliners are Ortiz and A-Rod, and I don't think both of them get – either of them get in, you know. There might be two years where guys don't get in. Mm-hmm. So it's like we're going into a time that 10 years ago we were talking about, well, what, what happens when this person's on the ballot or what yeah. happens when that person's on the ballot. Mm-hmm. We're hitting that time now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, where it's going to be very, very tough for, for, for these guys that were linked to it even remotely. Like Poppy was mentioned in it back in 03 and that was mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Right. Never tested uh, positive. Wasn't, you know, suspended for it. Was suspended for beating up a bat, a phone with a bat, but wasn't suspended for, for, you know, PEDs and, mm-hmm. but he was linked to it. Right. And although bonds never tested negative positive, he was linked to it, mm-hmm. right? So it's like you're 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 hurting yourself. Where right. it's like guys had the gall, like listen, Andy Pettit should be a Hall of Famer, but openly. Same thing with Mark McGuire. Same thing came out openly admitted that they took steroids. That hurt him. These guys have their own personal decisions to make. If you know Sammy Sosa's ostracized in Chicago because he won't admit that he took them, um, you know the. the Poppy will never have that in, in, in Boston, but, mm-hmm. you know, he has to sit there by himself and say, all right, if I did take it, should I admit it or take the chance of not making the Hall of Fame? I think, I, I think people are going to look past it <laughs> as a one-time thing for him, where my, my take on, on Clemens is the same thing with A-Rod, that, you know, look at what he did, the fiasco he made, the whole court thing, you know, suspended for a year, he's screwed. Um, but I think out of the two, Poppy's the one that has the, the so, steroids like aside, like all that stuff aside, would you think he's a first ballot, or do you think he would get in like eventually? Well, 
DHs are frowned upon. <laughs> right, right. In 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 the in the um yeah in in the Hall of Fame, and you know, I've said that, and people have said, well, what about um, you know, what about Vlad Guerrero? Vlad Guerrero was an outfielder for more than half of his career. Oh yeah. And then as he aged, he started to just hit. Yeah. Um, look at Edgar Martinez, who doesn't have the home run numbers Poppy has, mm-hmm. but. Edgar Edgar took to his last year on the ballot to get him, um, and his his hitting numbers are off the chart. And him and Poppy are kind of in the same category where a lot of guys that towards the end of their career were DHs, like Jim Tomey. Yeah, they they all played the bulk of their career as a fielder. Right. Poppy doesn't have that. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but I think his hitting numbers are so overwhelming that yeah, you know, I think he could. I think his his Hall of Fame track is going to be similar to Piazza, where you know Piazza's fielding was just terrible. <laughs> he was a terrible defensive catcher, yeah. and so he um, he is just a guy that is going to get in in two or three years, and that's fine. Listen, I think first ballot is a big to do, and I think Poppy yeah. should be, but first ballot designated hitter just it's like peanut butter and hot sauce doesn't go yeah you know what i mean so it's so so they so he'll be in in my opinion um but i think it'll take a couple years i don't think it'll take more than five gotcha um all right well any any other last like baseball thoughts you have um we didn't necessarily talk about lindor um yeah, I think I think I think with Lindor, and and it's crazy to me, and I hate New York writing so much. You know, there's oh, people yeah. that are out there that are that are sitting there and saying, you know, great, okay, great, fast forward, they got him, fantastic, you know, top ten player in baseball, ridiculous, great for the game, whatever. There's no way that you trade your starting shortstop now, a top 100 prospect who's going to be the shortstop of your future, or middle infielder for the future, and then two. Uh, higher end prospect for one year or Lindor, and two years of Carrasco. Um, I think the biggest thing you got to look at is if the Mets don't get Bauer, I think Lindor's done by the middle of spring training with an extension. Um, and I think he's going to, I think the Mets are going to rush. They just named their acting general manager. I guess it's the interim title when they say acting. Yeah. Um, I think they are going to, you know, try to get a deal done before Tatis, because although Tatis is younger, you think of shortstop in Major League Baseball, you think of Tatis, and you think of Lindor. Mm-hmm. And Lindor's going to want that type of money, and I think Tatis is going to get like 350 So I think I think you're going to see an extension done with Lindor before free agency. This year's going to be fun, and, and it's, it's a year that I'm just pumped up about because of the fact that this is a weird, like we were talking about, it's a, it's a new direction for the Mets that nobody's used to. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a weird direction for baseball because, you know, I'm sure you'll have me on again. Hopefully, I'm saying this in confidence yeah. that you'll have me on again around when the season starts. Yeah. Um, there's going to be a lot of teams that are going to be quiet and that could contend, and it's going to be fun. You know, there's a lot more guys on the move than I think people thought. Mm-hmm. 2021's going to be fun if and well, not if, but when it takes off. It's going to be. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a good year for baseball, and I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, well, it will be interesting. You know, you mentioned it's a couple weeks before spring training, so, you know, definitely get excited for, for baseball season. 
Interesting yeah. catches. Yeah. Well, uh, thanks for coming on, Eric. That was, uh, that was good stuff. But yeah, it'll be fun, man. I'm yeah. looking forward to being on again soon. Yeah, can't wait to talk to you um, before uh, season starts. All right, everyone. Uh, you can go read uh, Eric's content at uh, Metsmerized. You can follow him on Twitter. And, uh, yeah, we'll be back. And welcome back. So uh, I want to say thank you to Eric Bellier coming on the show, giving us some good um, insight on baseball, Hall of Fame, uh, free agency, and things like that. So uh, we'll close out the show with uh, some NWHL. We'll talk about the uh, women's hockey, National Women's Hockey League, the bubble, getting underway last Saturday. So um, a lot of really interesting things have come out of the bubble. Um, you know, I think specifically the performance of some teams that uh, specifically the Boston Pride have not uh, come out and played their best. Um, and I think, you know, it's, 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 as I said last week, I think, you know, with the season as short as it is and with all the games happening in such a short span of time, really anything can happen. And, you know, I know a lot of people were coming in and thinking, okay, you know, Boston's the most talented team. They should be the team that will, you know, dominate everyone. But I think like in such a short time span, you know, it really kind of the talent doesn't really matter all that much. I mean, we've seen the Toronto Six, the expansion team, playing some really good hockey. Yes, you know, had that uh, bad shootout loss in which they blew a 5-1 lead, but they've been a very, very good, consistent, solid team. You know, I think they've been the team that's been uh, the most talked about to me, I think. Um, Minnesota's obviously been very good. You know, they have, I believe that they have won, yeah, 3-0. They've won all their games. Um but Toronto is right behind them with five points, two, one, and one in their four games. Um, so obviously the news coming out yesterday that um, Metropolitan will be uh, withdrawing from the tournament because of um, some positive tests. You know, not sure what that means for the rest of the, the bubble, but, you know, it seems like the games will go on. Connecticut and Toronto will play tomorrow. Minnesota and Buffalo will play, and then the round robin will happen Um so Metropolitan, I think, was supposed to play uh, the Pride yesterday, but obviously that game has been canceled. So um, I think with the top four teams, you know, going to the semifinal, I think that there still is a good chance uh, for Boston that they'll be able to get into that. Um, but, you know, I think that they've kind of been the most, uh, I don't want to say disappointing, but, you know, maybe that's right. They just have not played um, great hockey, you know, they've not really been able to put together consistently good periods of hockey. I mean, obviously they had that win against Connecticut, um, I think earlier in the week, and that's their only win. But, you know, I think that having a team that, you know, is kind of the team that everyone goes in thinking that they're going to be the best and maybe having them not do as well, you know, might actually be good for the league that you can see that, um, the league has parity and, you know, I think that, that that can only be good things. You know, I know that people as Boston fans, you know, are upset with the team not performing the way that they would expect, you know, and I think that that's fair. But I think, like, for the league as a whole, it might be good for having an expansion team like Toronto, you know, do so well. Um, you know, I might, might, you know, might be a reach here, but, you know, you saw Vegas with their success a couple of years ago in the NHL making it all the way to the Stanley Cup final in their first season. You know, Toronto, absolutely. You know, they have great leadership with Digit Murphy. I mean, she's been 
um, probably the most talked about coach in the bubble, um, you know, really gets her team to play with good intensity. You know, I think that they've been, to me, I think they've been the most fun team to watch. I think Minnesota's been, you know, a good kind of about their business type team. Um, and I think they're just hungry. You know, obviously not getting the chance to play in the Isabel Cup last year um, has probably stuck with them. Um, they're a team that I think is a very solid team, you know, and they're a team like Boston that has a lot of talent. But um, Amanda Levier, I think, to me, has been the most, has, has been one of the best players that I've seen, just so good in net. She was tremendous against the Pride. Um, I think I was it. I think it was Saturday. Yeah, it was Saturday last week that the Pride and the Whitecaps played, um, and she was awesome. She was the first star of the game. Um, so I think things will be interesting with Metropolitan bowing out. You know, not sure what that means for. Um, not sure what that means for the, for the rest of the bubble, but hopefully they can still play. You know, the games for tomorrow are still scheduled. Uh, Connecticut against Toronto at noon pretty important game, I think, for both of these teams. Um, Toronto, if they get the win, they will actually be in first place. Um, then Minnesota will take on Buffalo. Buffalo's in last place. They have had a tough time in the bubble. So, you know, looking at the standings, if Metropolitan won't be there, Boston actually does vault into fourth place um, and should be fine, you know, if they're able to get a win in the round robin. I'm not sure how that's going to work. I think that it might work the highest seed place, the lowest seed, and vice versa. So Boston might end up playing Toronto or like Connecticut um, in the round robin. So definitely keep your eyes on that. Um, watch the games on Twitch. They've been a lot of fun to watch. Um, I would say me from personal experience, this is my first time that I've ever used Twitch. Um, and it's been a lot of fun getting to watch the games um, and be able to you know experience this league that... You know, I felt like I've wanted to experience for a long time, and I'm glad that I've finally gotten into it. But yeah, you can watch these games on Twitch. Um, the broadcast commentary team is awesome. Uh, whoever it is, you know, it kind of rotates. Um, I'll be honest, I don't know many of the people that do the play-by-play and commentary. Um, Erica Ayala does a great job. Um, she's a color commentator, and she's been a pleasure to listen to. Um when I've been watching the games on Twitch. So yeah, you can watch the games on Twitch. The semifinals and finals will be on NBCSN next Friday. Actually, no, semifinals are next Thursday. The final is on Friday. So uh, we'll record next week before the uh, championship game. Hopefully that continues. Um, Hopefully the bubble continues. Hopefully they can be able to play these games. Um, There was an announcement, I think it was last night, that... um, the NWHL is partnering with uh, Discover, which is great. You know, that's a big-time landmark partnership because uh, Discover, you know, obviously has had success with the NHL. You know, I think they're a sponsor of maybe the Western Conference or the Western, the West Division this year or the Central, one of those. Um, so it's just great. You know, I think that for this league to see parity and see some, you know, partnerships with big-time you know, companies, I think that's just awesome. And I think that it can only mean um, good things for this league. So I've really been impressed with what I've seen um, with the league, just how professional the broadcast looks. You know, it's not just the commentary teams, which have been awesome, but it's like, 
it just it just is great you know with the instant replay and you know where the score is and i know that that sounds like something that's so simple like when you watch nba games on espn you're like you know oh you know we get to see instant replay you know but it's like with this league that's kind of started from scratch for them to get you know things like that i think is just awesome and i think that um it's been fun to watch i'm really hoping that um the league can continue you know hopefully that they continue to stay safe um it's really too bad seeing uh the Riveters have to opt out, but obviously, you know, I have to do it for, um, for, for safety. You know, I think that that's, I think that we all were hoping, you know, that, you know, this wouldn't have to happen. And, you know, I think that we should consider ourselves lucky that when we saw the bubbles, um, for the NBA and the NHL in the summer, that no teams had to do this, um, because it very well could have been a possibility, you know, and it really probably could have jeopardized everything. You know, and I don't think people really realize that, that it's like, okay, they did a tremendous job with the bubbles, but, you know, if there was one positive test or if there was a team that had to bow out, you know, it would really change everything. So I think that we can't really take the health and safety for granted. Um, and so I think that it just it just sucks having to see a team bow out of it, especially with a tournament like this that I think the league is working so hard to try to get some exposure, you know, and I think that hopefully it can keep it going. Um, but it's been a joy to watch. It's been a joy to watch. And I really uh, would recommend anyone that enjoys watching hockey to uh, watch these games because um, they've been a lot of fun to follow. So I think that that probably does it for podcasts this week. Uh, big thank you to Eric Bellier for coming on talking baseball um, as always, you can follow us on Twitter um, at Not Boston. You can follow the Facebook page as well, Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at the Sports Guy ninety seven. You can yell at me for all kinds of stuff, any sports stuff. Got any questions? Uh, you can DM me. So everyone have a great weekend. Um, and yeah, I know there's no football this weekend, but uh, enjoy the NWHL. Please go watch those games. All right, everyone. Talk to you later.